the mission of your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, Ty, I went just a tad long. Okay, uh, we are, if you got your Bibles, you got your electronic devices, go to Judges 13. This is how we're going to begin. I'm going to make sure my phone's off. Some of you out there need to make sure your phone's off. All right, so this dog shows up at our house recently. Really, it, two weeks from today, it actually showed up at our house. And out of 40-plus houses in our neighborhood, this, this dog goes to our house, right? And he's whining at our back door, and he's trying to get in. Any time someone would open the door, the dog's trying to get in, and uh, he's clearly hungry. You can see it. He needs water. You can tell. Uh, it's a pitiful sight. It's a pitiful dog. Uh, so what do you do? I mean, what do you do? We already have a dog. Soldier. We already have two cats, too many, Cheeto and Frito. So if we feed him, I know he'll never leave. But I now have a pitiful family looking at a pitiful dog, looking at me pitifully. We have to feed this dog. And I thought I could buy some time, and this is what I said. I said, listen, y'all, let's give him the night. And if he's still here, we'll feed him in the morning, hoping that I'm buying time that this dog would leave, hoping that maybe something else might happen to him. Sorry, Amanda, I don't know what else might happen to him out in the wilds, but hoping that that happens. So what does this dog do? I give him this, this space to get on with his life. Evidently, I mean, I didn't tell you, evidently someone abandoned him, dropped him off. I mean, it's just pitiful. The whole thing's pitiful. So what does he do? He, he literally is on the back porch, moves two windows down to our bedroom, <laughs> and howls all night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're in bed. Oh! They're in bed hearing that sound. I wanted to wake my wife up and say, honey, I know what my Christmas present is. And it's something bigger than a Daisy Rider BB gun. So the following morning, my pitiful family comes to me and the dog is fed. What do I do? I call animal control, but we're outside their jurisdiction in the arena. So then I call the sheriff's office and a nice officer sent a deputy over and he personally said, Great dude. Love this dude, though. We had a great conversation. I'm like, hey, man, we should get together. And I said, well, he goes, Jeff, listen, there's no leash loss. So there's nothing I can do either. I'm sorry. But he also kind of hinted <laughs> that there are other ways that you could get rid of this dog. But I'm like, I can't. I've got a pitiful family back behind me. So then I called the Humane Society where we got Frito and Cheeto. And I thought, surely they could be some help. I'm sorry, but we don't pick up animals. But you can bring him joy to the world. I can bring this dog. I'll be there in five. <clears throat> joy suddenly appears. I'm racing down I-35, and actually at this point, I'm starting to feel pretty good about myself. I'm starting to think, you know, I'm doing the right thing. And I start reflecting on, man, I've gone the extra mile. And I start feeling deeply, I'm saving this dog's life. In all of my day off, more joy creeps into my life, right? 
Ten minutes later, I stroll into the Humane Society like Mother Teresa. I have a dog. I have a dog that I am saving, right? So the lady looks at me like my wife looks at me, so I knew it didn't go as well as I thought it was going to go. And I take her and I said, hey, I have this dog in the back of my truck. I'm the dude that called earlier. Oh, okay. She, she follows me out to the truck. She looks at the dog. Yeah, that's a pitiful dog. Yep, that's a pitiful dog. You should see my family. <laughs> and she says, well, here are all the great things we're going to do for that dog. Here are all the great benefits and how, you're, how you are going to save this dog's life. And I'm just feeling really good about myself. And though she was taking a little too long in her presentation, so I was saying, you know, okay, okay, already, let's just take the dog. Uh, and that's when she says, and you will save this dog by giving us $50. <laughs> I wish you could have seen the look on my face. I wish you could have seen what I was wanting to say to this young lady. And all joy left the building. That's all I know. It left the building completely. There was no joy in this man's heart whatsoever. I said, wait, I'm paying you $50 to save this dog. Yeah. So this is our last sermon in Joy to the World series, right? <laughs> For a good reason. Um, it's part Christmas, so it's Joy to the World, the sermon that we're going to look at. But it's also part Judges, so it's like, well, that's pretty disturbing. Remember, those of you that are just joining us in, in Judges, if you haven't been a part of it, looking at Judges, you ask over and over again, well, that's pretty disturbing. What is that doing in the Bible? And we've been in this series on the birth of Jesus, and that's joy to the world. So what do you do when you put Christmas and you put Judges together? You get Christmas and Judges. So you get joy where there is none. And so we're going to look at the birth of Samson. This morning, and we're going to ask, because you're going to ask right now, like you need to ask to prepare yourself for the sermon. Where is joy missing in your life? I'm talking about real joy. I'm not talking about the cheesy Christian kind. I'm talking about solid joy. I'm not talking about the flaky circumstantial kind. I'm talking about invading joy. I'm not talking about the self-manufacturing kind. Where is real, solid, invading joy missing in your life? Your marriage? Your parenting? Your child? Your work? When you're alone? While you're hunting and searching for Jesus and anywhere and everywhere but him? Where is real, solid, invading joy missing in your life? If you've found that place, you are now ready to hear this word. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. We're going to look at Judges 13. We're looking at the whole chapter, so if you get tired, sit down. It's fine. Be a wimp. Who cares? Here we go. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, what's going to happen next in verse 2, those of you that have been following us in Judges, you know that Judges has patterns, cycles, repeatedly. There are seven so far that have happened. What's about to happen in verse 2 is a break in the pattern. If you break the pattern, you're breaking the bones of the text. The text wants you to go, ouch. 
It wants you to feel it. It wants you to see it. So ask yourself when you get to verse 2, what bone just broke? What structure of the text has just been obliterated? Something new has happened. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, pay attention, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. I think he says this like four times. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb. Now we're not going to get into the details of this, but all you need to know is this child has a mission. Anytime you have these special little liturgies that happen in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's because God is putting his child aside for a mission. So there's some special things that he's going to do. There's some things he shouldn't do. There's ways his hair is going to look. Great. Today we just lay hands on people. Okay, then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and this, his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, pay attention, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb <clears throat> to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, so the husband does, and says, so the wife's reporting what happened to her, so the husband's like, well, I want to get in on this. So he prays to the Lord and says, oh, Lord, please let the man of God come whom you had sent to us again, and teach us, isn't this great? Teach us what to do. Everybody wants a list in life. Teach us what to do with the child, because he doesn't want to blow it. Teach us what to do, and, and who will be born, this child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to him again, to the woman, as she sat in the field, so it didn't come to him. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran and quickly told her husband, behold, the man who came to me the other day, he's here. And Manoah arose, went after his wife, came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? What's his mission? What are we to do? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, the same thing he said earlier to his wife, Of that, this is woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, neither strong drink or wine or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe this. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Okay, so now this gets even creepier. Who is that? So it's not an angel like Gabriel or Michael. It's an angel of the Lord. What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing that it is wonderful. <laughs> this is I mean, it's like you can't make this stuff up. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, offered it to the rock, to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up to heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. And the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah, the husband, knew 
that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, would he not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these? In other words, such wonderful, wonderful news. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manah Don, between Zorah and Eshtal. We'll look at what happens next week on that. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh Lord, we ask that you would shine on the page, fill us even now with your spirit, so that we'd have eyes to see, ears to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So here's the point. Joy to you. This text is joy to you. But who are you? Joy to you. But who are you? And the people of Israel again did was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord God gave him to the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. The angel of the Lord. So I think we have a, a deeper understanding of who this is. Right? It's this. A scary um, man, God, person. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you're barren. Behold, in the Hebrew, means pay attention. Pay attention. You're barren. Patterns are a big deal. We've already said that. A pattern breaks here. So what should happen in verse 2 that breaks, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, should be followed by what? If you know the cycle so far, I know you're not into this as much as I am, but so I love to get into this. I get paid to get into this. So what should happen is there should be pain. In other words, there have been six cycles of like, and Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, again, it's evil in the eyes of the Lord. It might not be evil in their eyes. And we'll get to the end of like, well, what is evil in the eyes of the Lord? It's always doing what's right in your eyes, which means this. If Paul was here, it's always pursuing justification by works. What's right in our eyes? Justification by works. That's what we do. If Paul was here, he'd say that. Just want to insert that. So right now, everyone is doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. They're pursuing justification by works. We'll figure out what that means in a little bit. It should be followed by pain, though. Every time that happens in Judges, there's pain. There's misery. There's Eglon, right? There's the Philistines, which is what's happening here. There's oppression. There's pain. Why? Because sin always breaks us down. Sin always breaks us down psychologically. It always breaks us down mentally. It always breaks us down emotionally. It always breaks us down relationally. It always breaks our work down. It always breaks us down societally. It always breaks us down culturally. It always and only decreates us. Because sin is a decreative power. So what should read is they did evil in the eyes of the Lord and Israel was severely distressed. That's what was said earlier in the sixth cycle to a guy named Jephthah when that was said. So what's going on here? You know it. There's no pain. There's no pain here. Israel has no pain. In the midst of being wrecked by sin. You got to ask yourself. It's like, 
man, how can that happen to them? But you and I know exactly what this feels like. You and I know exactly what this is like in our life. We know this is like, like when, when we blow off our anger and we blow off our anxiety and our worry and our stress and we blow off our need to control a child, a relationship, our circumstances, how people think of us, when we blow it off as if it's only a number on the Enneagram, just part of my personality, when we blow it off and say things like, you know, I'm just stressed. When we blow it off, we're not feeling it, right? We blow it off when we say, oh, it's just my hormones. When we blow it off and say, you're just being too sensitive. When we blow it off and say, well, they make me feel this way. When we blow it off and say, my life never goes right. When we blow it off and we say, I'm a victim. You feel no pain. We know what this is like. We feel no pain when, when we act like we're married to someone and we're not. We know what this is like. We feel no pain. When we, we have our convictions and they go out the window because money's on the table. Or we let go of our convictions because we could lose a leadership post. We feel no pain. Or like when you refuse help in the midst of substance abuse, in the midst of a tough time in a spiraling downward relationship. We know what it's like to feel no pain. We know exactly what this is like. So why do we feel no pain, though? That's what the text is trying to get to. That's the break, right? It's trying to actually tell us in verse 2, here's why we feel no pain. There should be pain, but we're not feeling pain. And so what's the reason? Well, the angel of the Lord says, behold, pay attention you're barren. Manoah and your wife, you're barren. Israel, you're barren. Jeff, you're barren. Colin, you're barren. Something is wrong with us beyond bad mental health. Something is wrong with us beyond bad emotions. Something is wrong with us beyond bad relationships, beyond lacking opportunity, beyond lacking equity. Something is wrong with us. Behold. Barrenness in the Bible is a master metaphor. It's all over the Bible, but it's a master metaphor for spiritual barrenness. It's a master metaphor for spirit, being spiritually sterile, being spiritually dead. We kind of have kind of created an image here to help us understand that. We call it the zombie around here, that there is a zombie self in all of us. We're physically alive, but spiritually dead. It's a culture that it kind of speaks to, but think about that. We're spiritually dead, we're spiritually barren, we're spiritually sterile. And what this means is, is that we cannot produce spiritual children. 
We cannot produce what the Bible would call anything spiritual. And what is spiritual? We need to get that down too. There's a contrast between the Bible, between flesh and spirit. It's a big deal. The flesh is talking about an age. It's talking about a world. It's talking about the reality of the powers of darkness and sin and its brokenness. It's talking about the way life is not. It's a decreative reality. When spirit's talked about, it's the ultimate reality. It's the fusion of the invisible created world and the visible created world together in one larger reality is called spiritual. So you got to push out of your head when you think of spiritual, spiritual. Oh, I'm spiritually dead, a fluffy uh, clouds. What is spiritual is, is solidly created, ultimate reality. All without sin. And so what this text is saying, this means we can't produce spiritual children. We can't produce ultimate reality. We can't produce things like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, joy. Paul would say, listen, what comes out of us is unrighteous. We can produce unrighteousness. We can produce unholiness, but we don't produce spiritual children. It's a master metaphor. And so what happens is like the Book of Common Prayer kind of picks up on this, an ancient document of Protestantism, and it says something like this, we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. It's basically saying, listen, when you're spiritually barren, you don't have the resources to create spiritual children. There's no power here. And then the New Yorker, that great theological document, says this. It had this crowded beach, and there was offshore, off the beach, there were sharks circling this flailing swimmer. And the lifeguard is looking on, very disinterested. And the caption says, visualize yourself not dying, and then be that reality. <laughs> You're barren. Have you ever wondered why you just can't do it? You're barren. Have you ever wondered why the Christian life is just so hard and impossible? You're barren. Have you ever wondered why you just keep trying to do and be what you want to try and do to be, whether it's standards you have for yourself, standards the culture has put on you, or standards that the Bible puts on you, and you just can't do it? Behold, pay attention. You're barren. Let that sink in. And when it does, there's phenomenal joy just around the corner and phenomenal freedom just around the corner. Joy to you, this text is saying. Joy to you. Who are you? The barren. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danaites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren. You've not born children, but you're going to have a son. Don't miss this. This is so breathtaking. This is so stunning. This is so powerful. God's answer to barrenness is not visualize yourself not being barren. It's not try harder. It's not kissing, dating goodbye. It's not surrendering all. 
It's not be a good Christian. It's not try to activate the Holy Spirit in your life or imitate the mystics. God's answer to barrenness is the birth of a son. God's answer to your barrenness is the birth of a son. Not try harder. Not five steps to a better marriage. Not how to invest wisely. The birth of a son. Joy to you. You're barren. A son is born. And it's always been this way, though. Think about it. It's always been this way. Right after Adam and Eve sinned, basically God says to them, Behold, you're barren, and you shall bear a son. And then you go to the world flooded with sin, and God comes up to Lamech, who's the father of Noah, and he says to Noah, Behold, you are barren, but you shall bear a son, Noah. And then you get to Abraham and to Sarah, and Israel has not yet even in, not shown up in human history, but for some reason, God is now going to start this redemptive plan, and he's going to have a, a whole people of God. And what he does is he comes to another barren person, and he says, Behold, you're barren, but you shall have a son. And then you go Israel actually being enslaved in Egypt. Remember that? They're enslaved in Egypt. And what was God's answer to them? Behold, Israel, you're going to have a son, Moses. And then hundreds of years after Moses... In the midst of the, the seventh cycle, the perfect number in Hebrew, right? In the Old Testament. Now we're at the perfect cycle. The ultimate cycle of ultimate reality. And the answer has been until now, judge, 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 but they're already alive. Judge, 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 and now, behold, you'll have a son. And then 1,200 years after Samson, there's another impossible pregnancy. But it's not because the woman was barren. It's because the woman was a virgin. Behold, you'll have a son. And what's so interesting, when you look at Jesus and you look at Samson, what's said about Samson, remember he's on a mission. That's what all that, the Nazarite vows, not cutting the hair, not having strong drink. These are all because he's set aside for a mission. So Samson has a mission, and we're going to see that in the next couple of weeks. But he has a mission. We don't fully understand it. But it's the first time that's recorded in Judges. He will begin, it says of his mission, and he will begin, verse 7, he will begin to save Israel. That's Samson's mission. Now, isn't this striking that you have the birth of Samson, you have the announcement of an angel, this incredible, whatever kind of angel this is, and he tells this woman, you're going to give birth to a son, and the mission is to begin to save Israel. And then 1,200 years later, another angel of the Lord shows up and says to another virgin and says, you will bear a son, and his name is Jesus. And he won't begin to save, he will. He will save. And who does he save? The barren. The barren. Joy to you. The barren. A son is born for you. Real joy, solid joy, invading joy, y'all, is the emotion of meeting Jesus 
What is joy? We said it before earlier when we began the series. It's the emotion of grace. Well, now we're getting really, really specific. We're moving into the textual terrain of the specificity of what grace looks like. It looks like real, solid, invading joy is the emotion of meeting Jesus. So if you have no joy in your life, the answer is meet Jesus. The answer is you have no joy because you're spiritually barren, meet Jesus. You have no joy because you feel nothing. You're in one of those feel-nothing places. You feel no pain. You know you're a wreck, but you just don't feel it. You just don't care. You're just a nothing. You feel nothing. The answer is meet Jesus. No joy because life and relationships are a constant measurement. Life and relationships are a constant stress. Life and relationships are a constant feeling of being on trial, watched, condemned. The answer is meet Jesus. No joy because you have no joy at home. You have no joy at church. You have no joy in your marriage. You have no joy with your kids. You have no joy in how you do culture. You have no joy ideologically. No joy in politics. Oh, there's lots of joy there. <laughs> Whoo! The answer is meet Jesus. No joy when you think about your past, like you are somehow untouchable because you've just wrecked everything. The answer is meet Jesus. No joy because you're filled with anxiety about the future and uncertainty. The answer is meet Jesus. Joy, real joy, solid joy, invading joy is the emotion of meeting Jesus. And don't miss this. All you need to meet Jesus is your need to meet Jesus. Look what happens. 21, the angel of the Lord appears no more to Manoah and his wife. Manoah knew that the angel of the Lord, in other words, God in human form, uh, and Manoah said to it, knew that it was the angel of the Lord, and Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die. Now notice the contrast between Manoah and his wife. One's freaking out. Of course he's freaking out. When you need to control your life, you freak out. From the very beginning, all Manoah needs is control. Do you see that? From the very beginning, he hears about, what? An angel came to you? Well, we need to know what to do, honey. I need a 500-page discipleship manual, honey, on how to raise this child. Did he not? And he's the fearful one. He's the anxious one. He's the one that's all out of control. And then the wife is like, so reasonable. <laughs> so reasonable, so secure. She says, remember? But his wife said to him, if the Lord meant to kill us, he would not have accepted our burnt offering and our thank offering. You know why she gets it? Because she knows the burnt offering and the, what is it, the grain offering are the offerings of the needy. The offerings of the broken the offerings of the barren. And so she's calm. She's strong. She's clear. She's reasonable. She's like, honey, come on. If he meant to kill us, he would have killed us. Manoah needs control. What do I do? What do I do? What do we do, honey? What do we do? What are the rules? How do we do this Christian life? 
And Manoah's wife only needs God. Look at verse 18. He's the God of wonders. Look at verse 19. He's the God who works wonders. His name is wonderful. All I need is, is him. I need the son, honey. What do you need? I need the son. I need this son. I need this son. Joy to you, the barren. A son is born for you. All you need is your need to need him. So you say something like this, and you don't need to put it off. You don't need to wait till you get home. You don't need to wait till you feel good. You don't need to wait till you feel like you've cleaned up your life. That's not what happens. You're barren. You can't. You will spend the rest of your life trying to do the impossible. Let's just forget that. Why do that? All you need is your need to meet him. So all you need to do is say, Jesus, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. You're my one defense. You're my righteousness. Oh, Lord, all I need. Amen. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us see that this is who you are. You're not pulling a fast one on anybody here. Like, aha, I tricked you. I'm really behind door number three. This is who you are. This is who you are.